Good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting with us online. We're glad that you have found us online and can be connected and a part of our service today there. We are excited to begin a new series today called The Promise. And it's really all centered on and focused on God keeping his promises, how faithful he is to keep his promises. And especially when it comes to the promise of the coming of a savior. I mean, that's what this season is really all about. There's a lot of fun traditions, fun activities. Love, I love the traditions of Christmas and we celebrate many of those traditions at our house. But it all comes down to God keeping his promise to send the savior, the Messiah, the deliverer, and during this season, it's often called the Advent season. It actually, on the church calendar, so to speak, started last week, was the, the beginning of Advent. And over these next several weeks, we're going to looking, be looking at God keeping his promise that gives us joy, it gives us hope, it gives us peace, it gives us love that we could never know apart from God keeping his promises to us. It's kind of sad to me in a way, but... We seem to rush from one holiday to the next, don't we? I mean, as soon as we get one done, we're off to the next. In fact, sometimes before one is done, we're already, you know, ready to rush into the next one. I mean, you had, you had Halloween, and then you had Thanksgiving, and right in, you know, before Thanksgiving has ever even started for some people, they're already into Christmas, you know, already Santa's making his appearances, the stores have the stuff out there, you know, I, I love the meme, maybe you saw it where, where the turkey is saying, uh, he's sitting on top of Santa Claus, and he says, wait your turn, fat boy, because right? uh, <laughs> we're, you know, we're so busy just rushing to the next thing all the time, and, and because of that, sometimes we don't ever really experience what has been called the most wonderful time of the year. We don't experience the wonder of it, the, the real meaning and joy and the depth of meaning that it ought to have. You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you are, are more into that countdown to Christmas thing than others are. Uh, we have uh, one of our elders, Mike Edwards, and his wife Beverly live down the street from us. And, and Beverly is known, if you've been around Lakeshore very long, for really going all out with her decorations at her house. She just really goes on. Now, she, by her words, cut back a lot over the last few years. And Mike says he, he can't tell in the storage building that she's cut back at all because he has to get all the stuff out and she starts putting it out. She starts months ago decorating, getting everything ready to celebrate Christmas. And the joke in our neighborhood is, I always text her, she did a post this week showing a lot of her lights outside and all, and I said, I knew you had them out because the lights at our house had already dimmed and started flickering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you are just more that way, aren't you? Just into that, and, 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 and I'm not quite that bad at all. In fact, I'll wait till the last minute on a lot of it, but but there's nothing wrong with having the joy of doing those things as long as you don't miss the real depth of meaning that comes with this day. I can remember as a little boy, Christmas was a big deal to me. And I can remember, you know, presents under the tree before Christmas and wanting to sneak in there and, you know, feel how heavy they were and shake them a little bit to see if we could figure out what they were. And I can remember oftentimes how hard it was to sleep on Christmas Eve night 
as a boy, just waiting to get up. And, and when I became a parent, I realized then how aggravating we were <laughs> as little kids. We didn't want to go to bed, but we wanted to go to bed. We were so bad, my parents did this to us. They, they, uh, we were trying to stay up late one Christmas Eve, and I have two brothers, all three of us were just hyper and all excited for Christmas. And they kept telling us, if you don't go to bed, when, you know, if you're not asleep when Santa Claus comes, he won't leave you anything. And they had Santa stop by the house and knock on the door while we were still up. And they opened the door and just let us, just enough for us to see that it was Santa. Boy, we got in bed and got the light out faster than we had ever done it in our whole lives. And we acted like we were asleep immediately, you know, just right away. Our parents were sneaky that way. But the, the excitement is a good thing. As long as we make the connection that we need to make. Because waiting isn't easy. And that's at the very heart of the Advent season is this waiting this looking forward to the fulfillment of something big and spectacular. The Latin word adventus is where we get the word advent, and it means literally the coming or the arrival of something that you've long anticipated. And that's what Christmas was originally. It was the, the fulfillment of a, of a promise God had made hundreds of years before through his prophets he had spoken of the coming or the arrival of this Messiah, Savior. And all through this series we'll be doing this month, we're going to be looking at God keeping that promise and the effect that it has on those who understand what it's all about. The first thing we're going to be looking at in this series is the theme of hope. That the arrival of this Messiah, God keeping this promise, is the source of hope for his people. We use the word hope a little differently today than the hope we're talking about in Scripture. We say things like, well, I, I hope that Grandma doesn't burn the turkey. Right? I hope I get what I want for Christmas. That's one way we hope, right? I hope it snows this year. You know, white Christmas. Got your fingers crossed, right? I just assume we don't have a white Christmas. But some of you would love to have a white Christmas. To me, that just means work. Lots of work. I hope my football team wins. Yeah, that little flicker of hope, right? You get your hopes up. And that's the way we use the word hope today is on things like that. But that's not the way the scripture speaks of hope. I want to begin with a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Uh, in fact, all through 1 Peter, the word hope is repeated many, many times. And the hope he's talking about there is not just wishful thinking that because you're ranked number one, you'll win, right? It's not that. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more powerful than that. Here's what it says in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as his, at his coming. The hope that scripture talks about is more than just wishful thinking. 
And most of the time when we, we think of the word hope, we're thinking of something in the future that we're, we're hoping for, that we would like to see come about, or that we would like to get or see happen. And in Scripture, it has a lot to do with the future, but it has more to do with how our hope for the future affects the present. That we live in and we walk in this hope that we have. Not that we're waiting to experience it sometime later, but that it's affecting how we live our lives right now in this hope that we have. And, and in Scripture, it has more to do with God being trustworthy to keep his promises. I love how Peter uses the phrase, with minds that are alert and fully sober. That's what it says in the NIV. Some translations say, prepare your minds for action. So the hope Peter's talking about is not just, okay, later on you're going to experience it and it's going to affect and bless your life. But he's saying right now, get your mindset on living with this hope every day that God has for you and the keeping of his promise of sending Jesus to us. Walk in that hope. Live in that hope right now in the present. Have that hope. And so we got to rethink what it means to have hope scripturally. It means we're living in hope today, not just waiting for something down the road. So as we recognize that our future is shaped by the present and our present is shaped by the future, we can, we can bring both of those things together with the hope for the future, but living in the hope today that God gives us as the faithful God that keeps his promises. So today, I want us to start with three uh, applications of this theme of hope in our lives. The first one is this. Hope is a certainty about the future that impacts the present. It's a certainty about the future that impacts the present. Our hope is not set in some ambiguous optimism. Our hope is set in specific moments in history that we can look at and know to be true that reinforce the fact that we can have hope today. Now think of that in relation to God keeping his promises. God has made many promises throughout the history of his interaction with us, with his people. And, and the arrival of Jesus Christ was one of those promises that he made. That the Messiah was coming, the Savior was coming. He promised it hundreds of years before it happened through the prophets. He spoke of it. And when we look back over specific events in history where God has made promises, all of his promises have been fulfilled exactly as he said they would be. That should build hope and trust in how we live today, shouldn't it? He has proven himself to be faithful to his promises. So it makes sense that we can put our hope in the promises of God today, can't we? If he's shown himself to be trustworthy throughout all of history. So we can misplace our hope, but if we can learn the right place to put our hope, it changes how we live right now. In light of future promises, we can live right now in the hope that God is faithful to keep his promises. A mark of almost every person in the Christmas story is that they were full of hope about the fulfillment of God's promise. 
They were living in that hope. We're going to look at one, but before we get to them today, I want us to go back to God speaking through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. In Isaiah 9 and verse 2, it says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, this is most likely over 800 years before Jesus appears on the scene. And God is saying through Isaiah that the people walking in this deep darkness have seen a great light. He says it in the present tense. They have already seen it. They're living in that hope, even in the middle of the deepest darkness that they're experiencing in their lives. That's the kind of hope I want, that no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, there's that light of hope that keeps me going, that that, that helps me hold on, that allows me to get up the next day and take the next steps that I need to take. That's the hope that we need to hold on to and cling to. That's where we need to have our minds alert and sober and focused on that kind of hope because that's the only hope that will sustain us in the world that we live in, this fallen world under the curse of sin. That's the hope we need right there. And we keep placing our hope in the wrong things when that hope has been there all along. You know, there are different people that look at things differently. You've you've heard of, of this probably before. It says the pessimist sees a tunnel The optimist sees a light at the end of the tunnel. The realist sees a train. And the train engineer sees three idiots on the railroad tracks. We all look at things differently, don't we? But what God wants all of his people to see and to understand and to live with is this hope in the deepest darkness that can shine and be there and be constant for you no matter what's happening in your life. The Old Testament holds many promises or prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus. And each one of those prophecies and those promises sustained God's people throughout all kinds of troubled times in history. The Jews, the people of God, lived with these promises that kept them going. They weren't perfect. They didn't always do the right things, but but they would always come back to this hope that they could call on God because God was always faithful to keep his promises. So they could live day to day, even in the deep darkness with this light that was already present in their hearts and their minds. By faith, they could already see that light that God had promised. And it kept them going, holding on to God and his promises. Well, in light of that, there's an old man in the Christmas story named Simeon. I want to focus on him for a few minutes here. We read about him in the New Testament. He's a wonderful Advent character. He's he's a perfect example of someone who's oriented his entire life around a future promise given to him by God. You see, this passage in Isaiah that we just read, that the people walking in this deep darkness had seen a great light, this would have been the center of his prayer life every day. He would have been looking for that light to appear, believing it was going to appear, living like God had already secured this promise for him, and he could count on it. So every day he woke up with that hope. Every day he went about worshiping God, honoring God, because of that hope that he had, based on that promise that God had made, because he believed God keeps his promises. 
So he lived with that. It affected his present life. That he had that prophecy from hundreds of years ago that God had made, that promise that he made. He lived with that hope every day that he could trust God to keep that promise. Let's pick up with his story in Luke chapter 2. We'll pick up with verse 25. This is after Jesus has already been born. See, I'm not like a lot of pastors. I don't do it chronologically. I'm jumping ahead of the birth, and I'm looking hundreds of years before the birth, and we're just putting them both together, okay? I want to help you experience all of this in one time, okay? Here in, in Luke 2, beginning with verse 25, it says this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. You know why he was called that? It's his name. <laughs> just wanted you to catch that, okay? who was righteous and devout. Wouldn't you like to have in Scripture the description of your life that way? He was righteous and devout. Righteous means he's trying to do what's right with God. Devout means he's committed to the things of God. That's, that's how I would love for my life to be described. That's how I would like for your life to be described. Somebody talked about you, they'd say that's a righteous and devout Person. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Some traditions believe that at this point, Simeon was very, very old, maybe even as old as 112 years old. That's what some traditions say. We don't really know how old he was. But he's spoken of as someone who's been walking with this hope, living with this hope for a long time. It had been the driving force of his life, the center of why he did what he did and why he was who he was. He was promised by the Holy Spirit, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit from God, that he wasn't going to die until he got to see with his own eyes the fulfillment of this hope that he lived with. Man, what a great promise. But think about this. We don't know for sure how old he was, but let's say he did live to be 100 or close to that. Every day after he received this promise, what would he do that day probably? He would get up anticipating, is this the day? Am I going to see the Messiah today? Is God going to allow me to see this fulfillment of this promise I've lived with my whole life? Is this the day? Now, that sounds really good until you think, well, after a week, after two weeks, a month, a year, a few years. Do you wake up with that same anticipation? 
Do you wake up with that same longing to see God's promise fulfilled? Do you have that as the driving force of your life after a year or two of not seeing it yet? Are you still holding on to it? Because that's what happens. See, Satan loves to work on us in the deepest, darkest times of our lives to get us to say, why should I have that hope today? Why should I keep getting up anticipating that God's going to keep his promises to me today? I didn't see it yesterday. I didn't see it the day before. It's been weeks I've been in this darkness, months, and I don't see any light yet. Why should I keep looking for that light? And Simeon is a great testimony to us that, that even when you don't see it yet, even when you are aware of how it's happening already. Was God working all that time Simeon was hoping without seeing the fulfillment? Yes. God had already set the star in the sky. God had already led uh, the, the wise men to come and find this child. God had already led Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, uh, even though they didn't live there. At the time the child was, God had already worked throughout all of history. He was working the whole time, even when Simeon could not see it with his own eyes. And that's what he's doing for you too. And that's what he's doing for me. God is a faithful God to his promises. That's why we can live with hope every day. I don't see the fulfillment of it today, but I can believe it like it's already happened because God keeps his promises. That's why. So today, it will affect my present day life to put my hope in God who is faithful. And today, you and I can be challenged by Simeon's example that we need to hold on to that hope the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go out to the temple that day. I'm sure that was a regular thing for Simeon. That was a part of his life, and he prompted him that day to go. And Simeon had still been living in that hope that day, or he would not have shown up that day at the temple. Right? He went ahead and did the faithful thing he was supposed to do. He went ahead and listened to God that day. Even though every day he had done that so far, he had not seen the Messiah yet. But that day, he's obedient to what God called him to do. That day, he listens to the prompting of the Spirit. And that day, when he shows up, Mary and Joseph come walking up with this baby. That day. You see, if you let the hope that God gives you affect your present life, you will be obedient today to what that hope tells you to do. Because it's only then that you get to experience the fullness of the fulfillment of the promises of God when you stay faithful to his directing, his call, his prompting of his spirit in your life. That's when you experience the fulfillment of God's promises. Simeon immediately knows who this baby is. <laughs> He's so in tune with God and his spirit that immediately he knows this baby is God's promise. This baby is that Messiah. So he takes the baby Jesus into his arms and he recites this beautiful prayer. And I can't imagine how he must have felt while he was holding that baby. His whole life, that's been what he's living for. And now he gets to hold that baby in his hands and know this is God keeping his promise to him that he would not die before with his own eyes he could see 
the Messiah, the Savior. He had been holding on to this hope of this promise through some of the darkest times of the people of God. Even then, as this was happening, they were under the rule of a pagan government that was cruel and unjust. And God's people were crying out to God, why are you letting this happen to us? Why are we having to go through all this? We, we sometimes paint this picture of the Christmas story like everything was so great and so beautiful, but they were living in the deepest darkness of God's people's lives when this light appeared. See, sometimes we think, oh, it was so much better for them than it is for us. Look at all the trouble we've got. Look at all the struggle we're going. Why is God letting me have to go through this or that? Or, or why is it so hard for, for my family? And we forget God's people have lived through those things throughout all of history. And that's why we need so desperately to know this hope that Jesus brings to us. Because being a follower of God doesn't mean that in this world there won't be deepest darkness that we go through. In fact, he says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. We're all going to go through some good things and some bad things. All of us are. That's why we need this hope so desperately. That's why we need this light. It's for the times of darkness we're going to have to go through, live through. So this hope needs to affect our present lives right now. See, Simeon had seen the Romans conquer and occupy his people in his land. He had seen a bloody civil war. He saw multiple revolutions. If he lived to be 100, he had seen multiple revolutions by the Israelite people that had been squashed by the Roman government and the Greek government. He, he had seen terrible times and great suffering. But he got up that day by the prompting of the Spirit, and he went to the temple and he got to see the Messiah with his own eyes. That hope kept him faithful. And that's what we want to learn today in this Christmas Advent season as we look at Simeon is how we can hold on to that hope too. And that leads me to the second thing I want us to see today about hope. And that is that hope is birthed out of deep longings and desperate need. Hope is birthed out of deep longings and desperate needs. Simeon shows us that it was out of a deep longing and a desperate need for God's presence and God's comfort that he got to experience the fulfillment of this hope. Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting at the temple for something very specific. It says he was waiting for, look at the word that is used here, the consolation of Israel. Sometimes we think of consolation in, in, in a more negative way. We think of it like, well, you got the consolation prize, Right? How does the consolation prize compare to the other one? It's not as good, right? And so that's how we think of consolation a lot of times. But that's not what this word means or how it was used then in this passage. He, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means the comforting encouragement that God would provide. Think of to be consoled in the best possible way. But when do you need consoling the most? in the deepest darkness of your lives. That's when you need it the most. And this is a hope that can console you even in those times, that can comfort you no matter how hard it is. 
no matter how terrible it seems to be and how much you feel like you can't go on. God can bring comfort and consolation to his people. And all of that, when I read from Isaiah, uh, you look at that whole chapter and several chapters before and after that, Isaiah speaks to God's promise to bring consolation to his people. God had promised this whole time, I will be there with your comfort, with your consolation. If you stay faithful, if you hold on, I will be there. The word that Luke uses here in, in his gospel for waiting in this passage is the Greek word that means to give access to yourself, to open yourself up completely to something. So he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know what he had done? He had opened up his whole life to the possibility and the promise and the certainty that God was going to do this. He opened himself up to it completely. He was waiting not the way we wait a lot of times. You know how I wait in line a lot of times? I can't believe it's taking so long. If they had a better organization, they need to let Chick-fil-A run this thing. They do better. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I wait most of the time, right? That's not this word for waiting. That's not what this word is. This word is, God, this is so hard, but I trust you. And God, I want you to know, I, I want to see this. I want to experience your presence. I want to experience your provision. I want to experience your, your peace, your fulfillment of your promise. I want that in my life, God. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is hard. It's harder than anything I've done before. But, but I trust you. I'm still holding on, God. Because I believe you're going to do it. I believe you're going to do it. It's a certainty that God is faithful to his promises. It's not a certainty that you know the timing. It's not a certainty that you know how he's going to do it. It's a certainty that you know him well enough to know he will keep his promises. That's the certainty of hope. Scripturally. It's not wishful thinking. It's based on all the evidence of God's faithfulness throughout all of history. It's so much more than just wishful thinking. And that's why it can get you through the hardest of times. So during this weeks leading up to Christmas, I want to encourage you to allow yourself to feel again anew, or maybe for the first time, the deep need that you have for God, that I still have for God. Because sometimes we start feeling pretty self-sufficient if things are going okay, and we forget about our need for God. Or sometimes we feel like God's not coming through, so I'm going to look for other things to give me the hope that I'm looking for. And we start putting our hope in the wrong things. Many of us, when we get a sense of our need, we try to fill it with lesser things, especially at Christmas. I see it just played out more and more in the Christmas season. It's, it's, it's like it's magnified during this season. You know how we try to fill it? Shopping. Right? If we could go out shopping and buy the stuff we want, that'll take care of our emptiness. That'll fill our need for us. 
Not just for ourselves. If we get every, you know, we find out what does everybody else want and we sacrifice and we shop to be sure we get them the right thing so they won't be disappointed on Christmas and that'll meet our need to, to, to be right and to, and to be thanked and to, and to be liked and loved by those people because we made that effort and we got the right thing for them. It's going to make them happy. And, and so we're trying to fill ourselves up, our lives up with these things, accomplishments or, or parties or Substance abuse for some people. That'll meet my need, right? If I, if I can get that next hit or that next high or that next buzz, then I'll feel better and everything's going to be good in my life again. What that deep longing really is, is a longing for God. We don't always recognize it. We don't always open ourselves up to it. I'm not saying you shouldn't shop and it's not fun to buy gifts. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't let that be your source of hope. Don't mask your need for God by trying to fill it with all of these lesser things that you think are going to make your life better. They won't do it for you. They will leave you longing and lacking every time. Sometimes it's a relationship. You let yourself get into a relationship that you know is not scriptural, it's not God's will for your life. But you think that'll fill me up, that'll make me feel good. Right? We're going to all these lesser things to give us this hope, to fulfill this longing that we have. And the longing is not it's really deep down. It's not for any of that. It's for God himself. See, God put that in us when he made us, this longing for him. And we're not going to find the fulfillment of that anywhere else. I want you to look around yourself this Advent season and look at the shallowness of our culture and their efforts to meet this deep need in their lives. We wonder why every Christmas season we sing about peace on earth and goodwill to men. We wonder why it doesn't happen. Why don't we get it right? Why, why don't we ever get it worked out? Why don't we ever get the problem solved? It's because we're turning to lesser things to fill up our lives. And they will always be found lacking. And that emptiness is what drives us to go after the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Allow yourself to hope in the right thing. Allow yourself to put your trust in the promise of a faithful God. The ancient prayer of Advent for hundreds of years has been this prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. If you look at the end of the book of Revelation, some of the last words, come, Lord Jesus, come. That should be the longing of your life and my life. Not that just, just that he would come sometime in the future. Remember, this hope is supposed to affect the present. Lord Jesus, come now in my life, in my heart, in my inmost being. Come, Lord Jesus, come. As we anticipate that coming again where we see him face to face. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this of Advent. He says, the only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. 
Only when you open yourself up to that realization can you experience the real presence of the coming of the hope of God. But you have to admit your need for it. Instead of masking that need with everything else you're trying to mask it with. And too many of us are still masking that need for God and the presence of God in our lives. So I'm praying that this Advent season will be different than anyone you've ever experienced before. And you won't allow yourself to be distracted. And you won't self-medicate and self-soothe by all the lesser things. And you will let yourself be driven to your need for God's presence in your life. You will let this season be a season of experiencing his presence like never before. And that leads to the final thing today, and that's this. Hope is found really in a person. And the person is Jesus. That's where the hope is really found. It's not set on some kind of empty wishful thinking. It's not set on, on the lesser things. It's not in our 401k or it's not in some relationship or a job. It's not some president making sure you get the right one. It's not some good medical report because at some point that won't continue to be the case. Our hope needs to be in the one who is steady, never changes, is always there, will never leave us and forsake us, whose love is steadfast and secure. And only one can do that for you and his name is Jesus. It's the only one. Your husband may love you, wives, for the rest of your, his life. And wives, husbands, your wife may love you for the rest of her life. And you may die together. That's what my wife is praying for. And I always worry about that when we're driving together. <laughs> I'm thinking the only way that's going to happen is if we have a horrible crash or something, right? She said, no, no, we'll just die in our sleep together. I said, oh, well, maybe, okay. Uh, that's one possibility, right? But here's the thing. I love my wife dearly, and she loves me dearly, and I love my kids, and they love me, and all of that, but they can't do for me what only God can do for me. There's not a relationship out there that can do this for you, what God can do for you. It can be that presence and that hope and that peace, that stability, that encouragement that you need. Some of you are killing your relationships with your husband or your wife or, or the person you're dating right now because you're asking them to do for you what only God can do for you. I want you to get that. You're asking them to make you happy and keep you happy and be there for you and be the encouragement for you every minute of every day when you feel like you need encouragement. You want them to be the one right there encouraging you. Friends, no human being can do this for you. Only God can do this for you. He's the hope. Now, they can be a blessing to you, like mine is for me. But they can't be this hope for you. As you read through the New Testament, many people who come into contact with Jesus miss who he was. Right? Here he is, the Messiah. He's doing these miracles. He's got this great teaching. And still, so many, even of God's people, the Jews, didn't recognize him. That's the fulfillment of that hope. You know why? Because they were looking for him to be different than he was. They were looking for him to do things that weren't in God's plan for him to do. They wanted him to do things like overthrow the Roman government and set up your own political system where we rule the world, right? That's what they were looking for. Like a lot of Christians in America today are looking for. That's not what the Messiah came to do. That's not the hope that he gives. You see, his kingdom is not of this world. It's better than that. It's bigger than that. 
It's more secure than that. We should have hope beyond the, the lesser things of this world. So when we don't get the president elected you want, or you do, or when you don't have the things, the decisions made in the government that you want to have made, or they're not spending your tax money the way you want them to, or, or, or things in your neighborhood locally aren't happening the way you want them to, or, or your family's not having the nice Christmas you wanted them to have this year. Even then, if your hope is not in those things anyway, what can you still have? Hope. Encouragement. Fulfillment of that promise God in your life. So you got to put it in the right place, in the right person. And the person is Jesus. How did Simeon get this right when so many others got it wrong? Simeon took the time to be very real and vulnerable with the fact that even if Israel had overthrown Rome, this wouldn't fulfill his life. That wouldn't have solved the problems. That wouldn't have filled the void that he had. Simeon started with his need for God. He lived in that need for God. He got up every day responding to his need for God. If we can get back to that, or maybe start that for the first time in our lives, then we'll experience this Advent season in a deeper way than you ever have before. Because God has kept his promises. And he's there for you. When you open yourself up to your need for him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a place to go with our hope. A place that is not one of the lesser things, but it is the thing that can fulfill us and sustain us and allow us to move forward through this Advent season with joy and anticipation of what is to come, but also the realization that you've kept your promise right now. And right now we can claim the fulfillment of your promise in the Messiah, in the Savior. Right now we can claim the hope that he brings. We can claim the assurance of the blessings that come from walking in that hope. Father, I pray that if anyone today is longing and searching for some hope and some fulfillment and some joy and some meaning and some purpose in life that they would understand in that longing, that longing is there to lead them to you because only you can fill that void and meet every longing of their heart. May they come in response to that longing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.